You are listening to this week's sermon podcast from LifePoint Church in Ames, Iowa. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org. I believe that God wants to speak into your life and your heart this morning. So hopefully on your chair you received a prayer card. Um, If you've been with us the last couple weeks, you've probably... Uh, already received one. We want you to place these in some, some place in your daily routine where you can be reminded to pray this prayer over your life and over your family and over our city. So put it in your, on your bathroom mirror, in your car, put it in your Bible. Uh, it's not waterproof, so you can't put, probably put it in your shower, but put, put it somewhere you can um, place it just a, as a reminder for you to begin praying this prayer that God would give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you might grow in the knowledge of God. That is our prayer over the next nine months over our church and over us as individuals, over our families, over our schools, over our cities, that God would open up heaven, give us spiritual wisdom and insight so we might grow in the knowledge of God. We need God to open our eyes, am I right? We need God to wake us up. That's what we talked about last week. Sometimes we kind of fall into this spiritual sleepiness, spiritual slumber, and we just need God to shake us up a little bit. That's our prayer over the next nine months. Well, this morning we're going to continue this prayer through Ephesians chapter 1. That Paul is, this epic prayer that Paul is praying over the church of Ephesus. The next part of his prayer, he says, I'm praying that your, your hearts will be flooded with light so that you might understand the confident hope that he has given to those whom, he, whom he's called. So that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope that we have in Christ. I love, that's the New Living Translation. I love the English Standard Version. Where it says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So actually in the original language, Paul uses that imagery of the eyes of our heart. So we can see physically, flesh and bones around us, everything tangible in the world around us, but we have eyes in our heart. I'm not trying to get too ethereal or uh, intangible, but we have spiritual eyes where we can sense what is happening in this world, the, the ultimate reality of our existence. That's what Paul's referring to is the eyes of our heart. And so in the original language, he's saying, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the eyes of your heart may be opened. So this morning, I want us to pray over ourselves and over our church that we would begin to see the world differently. And how, specifically? That we would see the world around us with eyes of hope. That we would see the circumstances, situations in our lives the things that even globally or nationally that overwhelm us, that take all the headlines, steal the headlines every single day, that we'd begin to see the world around us through the lens of hope. That's what Jesus gave himself for. It was this great redemptive plan of hope. And yet, trust me, I'm in the trenches with you all. It's so easy to get pulled into cynicism, unbelief, doubt, right? We're all there, stress anxiety, fear. That is the, the trenches of our life, Monday through Saturday. Sunday, maybe you, you muster up the, these feel-good feelings to help you try to forget it. But I'm praying that we as a church would begin walking in this confident hope 
that Christ is bringing about a better day for us. So that's our prayer. God wants us to see his hope for a better day. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to open your eyes to see the situations in your life through this lens of a better day is coming, a better tomorrow. He's working it out. That's the way he he does it. He's bringing about a plan of restoration. He has a plan. And I don't mean that in a trite way. I'm going to unpack this this morning, hopefully in a way that that actually translates to to your daily life. But just think of the situations that overwhelm you right now. Maybe your bank account's at zero, right? You need hope that helps you get through this week, if that's you, right? Think of the the sin issues that continue to rear their face in your life. You need a message of hope that gets you through this week, that allows you to keep your eyes on what Christ purchased for you. Whatever your situation is this morning, Maybe you're watching your kids struggle to make friends or struggle academically in school and it's just tearing your heart out. What you need is hope to get you through the week this week to fix your eyes on this confident hope that Christ purchased for you. I don't know where you're at, but I know you need hope and I believe this morning Christ has a message of hope for your life. I mean it. From the bottom of my heart, this has been burning in my heart all all week long, this prayer of Paul's. Paul prayed it with that type of fervent passion. I want the eyes of their heart to begin to see the world differently. So God wants us to see his hope for a better day. That that might mean that we need a little correction in our eyesight, right? We don't, we actually born into this world not seeing correctly. That's our fallen humanity. We see what is tangible, and that becomes our ultimate reality. God has a new reality for you, and it's this spiritual, spiritual vision, spiritual eyesight. So when I entered elementary school, third grade specifically, I found out that I was nearsighted. Many of you are nearsighted, and, uh, it's, it's actually a huge relief when you find that out. It's like, oh, the, the world is so much clearer, right? It's like I've always been struggling to make sense of everything around me. Oh, people have so, so many more uh, pixels on their faces. This is amazing, <laughs> right? If, you, if you're nearsighted, you can, you can empathize with me. It's, it's a real thing, a real struggle. But it was amazing. In third grade, I, my life was changed, and I, I wore glasses and contacts all the way up until college where my eyes finally stabilized. And so finally, my eye doctor said, technically, I'd be a candidate to have eye correction surgery, LASIK surgery. Has anybody had eye surgery to correct your eyesight? Amazing. This is my two thumbs up recommendation for LASIK eye surgery. Amazing. But I'll tell you my experience with it, because it was actually pretty scary. Going under the knife with your eyeballs. These are a precious commodity, Right? That's probably why most of you have opted out. Like, I'll just stick with glasses and contacts. But I was a sophomore in college. I was stupid enough to do it. <laughs> and so there I was, under the knife. My eyes had already been cut open. I was laying there before. They don't put you under. You're, you're fully awake. And the doctor said two words, two, two words that no doctor should ever say. He said, oh, no. <laughs> That's right. My eyes have already been cut open. 
He's about to burn the cornea off my, the part of my cornea that needs to be burned off so I can see correct, correctly. And, and he has to take a 30-minute break in the operation. They wheel me over to this other room so that they can get this new machine up and running, this laser that they're, they're going to burn the cornea of my eye with, get it up and running properly. Crazy. Terrifying. They end up wheeling me, wheeling me back. The surgery works out fine. Excruciating pain for 24 hours. But after my eyes begin to heal, the world starts to clear up, right? The, the world be, starts to become a living color again, and now I see 2020. That's right, 2020 for the last however, 14 years. Amazing, right? I believe, in a similar way, God needs to do major surgery on our eyes for us to see the world properly. And it can be kind of terrifying, to be honest, to submit ourselves to the will of the Holy Spirit in such a way. But I'm telling you, it's so good. I have no regrets, honestly, on my LASIK eye surgery. I, I don't have to deal with contacts and glasses. I love it. And, and to a way greater degree, submitting ourselves to the work of the Lord in our lives, that he may correct our sight, that we will stop falling prey to cynicism and doubt and unbelief and fear and anxiety, and, and we'll have this confident hope that Paul talks about. That's what I want in my life. That's what I'm praying over our church in the days to come. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah 35. God wants us to see his hope for a better day. Do you know that Christ restoring everything that's fallen in this world, is, is his work of, in doing that is not just a matter of him bringing it back to zero. Oftentimes that's what we think. You know, if God could just make something of this mess to bring it back to zero, we'd be happy campers. But can I tell you, God goes above and beyond that. He's an extravagant God. If you just think of the story, his redemptive story, in uh, creation, he created humanity in his image. He said it's very good. He didn't say it's perfect, but he said it's very good. It couldn't be perfect because within it it had the possibility of free will, you and I making our own choices for ourselves. You know the story, Adam and Eve, they chose the path of disobedience, right? They chose something other than their God-given identity to walk in love with their creator. You guys know the story. We chose the path of disobedience. There was this seismic fall, the massive fall, the curse ensued, right? And that's, that's the world we see now. It's chaos, it's a mess. It's like we, we just like revel in these moments of peace and tranquility, right? We love this. But when we walk out these doors, it is chaos. But as you begin to zoom forward, fast forward through God's story, Christ comes, obviously. He pays the ultimate price on the cross. The, re- the power of the resurrection is displayed for the entire world. The, the clocks are, are turned back, right? Reset. We, we keep track of the calendar now according to that moment in history. But as you continue to fast forward, God wasn't just bringing it back to zero so I can get it back to the way it was in the garden. Look at Revelation chapter 21. This is on the screen. It says, then I saw, this is what God is going to do. So we haven't even seen this yet. We're in the midst of this grand, amazing, redemptive story. This is where God is bringing it. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That may not make sense to you, but listen up to verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, 
God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He has a plan of coming and actually dwelling with us, living with us, making his home with us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said this. This is what Jesus declares over your life. Look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And honestly, I could close it right now and somebody could walk out of this place with this statement on their hearts. This is a trustworthy and true statement. He's making everything new. You can take it to the bank. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's where he's bringing it. That doesn't sound like he's just trying to bring it back to the garden. He's actually trying to go far beyond the garden because what's been forged is this path through true free will relationship with humanity. It's been forged through this messy, difficult path of God pursuing us in relationship by him actually spilling his blood for us to buy us back. It's, it's a crazy story, and we're in the midst of it. And so he's not just bringing it back to zero. He's bringing it and surpassing it. He's surpassing that to a better day. You can hang on to that. So we're going to read from Isaiah 35, which is also a prophecy of what is to come. This is a prophecy for the nation of Israel. And just prior to this, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that you guys are going to be taken into exile. There's a nation, Babylon, they're going to come and they're going to defeat you guys. They're going to take you away. It's really bad news, right? It's a bad day when your spiritual leader stands before you and says, there's, there's a bad day coming. But can I tell you, we live in the midst of an exile. And there are bad days coming for you. There, there are. I'm not trying to be a, like a, a negative Nancy, naysayer. I apologize to any, anybody named Nancy. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be negative, but the reality is, like, there are, there are unfortunate things that are coming. And Isaiah says that. You will be taken away in exile because of your own disobedience. The, the natural path of disobedience will take its course in your life. You'll be taken away in exile. But here in, in Isaiah 35, he says, but God is going to work it around. He is a steadfast God. He, he's very persistent. He's faithful. He's good. He's pursuing you. And he's going to restore it. He's going to save you. But this, this was fulfilled for the nation of Israel. If you, know, if you know the story, you can check it out for yourself in the Old Testament. But it hasn't fully been fulfilled yet. And so, there's so much in this passage that, that God is speaking over the future for you and I, that I, I want it, I'm just praying that it will capture your heart in the work of Christ that's in this passage. Let's just pray as we open up and read Isaiah 35. Lord, this is real life this morning. This is me, my, my, my church family, my friends that have all sorts of things that overwhelm us, that overtake us, that stress us out, that worry us. We're talking about issues regarding our kids, or for some, physical health, for some, marital issues, for some, their bank account, for some, maybe it's what's happening in our nation, whatever it is, Lord, that overwhelms us, God, what we need this morning 
is a correction in our eyesight, that we'd be able to see this world through the lens of hope, that we'd be able to see what you see, Jesus. That's what we want. So I pray you'd correct our vision this morning. Do it like only you can. And, and whether this be somebody's very first time in church or whether they've been with us for, for decades, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would do what only you can do. Gently, lovingly, in your mighty name, amen. Isaiah 35. So even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Which you're just, I know you're stoked about spring crocuses. There will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. He'll unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. Those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness. Streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool. And springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Isaiah prophesied that over the nation of Israel, but obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah prophesied so much of God's global plan of redemption. And so God right now has a plan in motion that you and I are in the midst of. Me and you get to be players in his story of redeeming humanity that may or may not be helpful to you, but I'm praying by the end of this morning that you would begin to see that it's relevant for your life, that God is a God that redeems what seems to be the unredeemable. And there are some situations that we face it's like, I don't know, God, how you could make something out of this mess. But this is a testament. This is a testimony of the way in which Christ works to make the unredeemable redeemed. Not just to where it was, but a place of abundance, a place overflowing. And so this is how we're going to do this this morning. God wants us to see his hope for a better day through his unchanging character, firstly. In the midst of our unpredictable lives, there's one thing that's unchanging, and it's God's character. For as much as God has revealed himself to us, he is unchanging in those ways. You can never fully know God. You can't. He's inexhaustible in, in nature and glory, but in, in every way that he's revealed himself to us, you can know, you can take it to the bank, that that's the way he is. 
So as much as you know that he is holy, you, you can know that he is holy, or as much as he's revealed himself to you and that he is love, you know that he is love, and he can't be anything other than love. And so right here in this passage, the word they use for God in this passage, like verse two, is the word Elohim, which is the most common Hebrew word or name for God. But what's beautiful about the name Elohim is Elohim is a plural, referring to our God, three in one, not three gods, but one God, but three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is relational. So you want to know how God works? And as you're in the trenches of your life, and you're like, how is God's character relevant to my life? Can I tell you, at the end of the day, God is relational. He's relational. He's a, he's a God of love that wants true free will. He's not coercing people. He's, man, he's not manipulating you. He truly wants your heart in relationship. He's relational. And if anything gives you context to what, the way God is working on the earth and working in your life is he wants your heart. And he'll put up with a lot. He will. He'll let a lot of things just run their natural course because he so desperately wants free will love. He, he really wants relationship with you. Do you know God is empathetic? God is the God of compassion. I, I think it's amazing that right here in this passage, God Almighty, God of the universe, God of all majesty and glory, says he's going to encourage your heart. He's going, he sees your tired hands. It says, for, to those that are fearful, do not fear. That's right, the God that initiated all of creation and then the God who's been to the farthest, furthest expanses of the universe, as the universe is still expanding, he's been there. That same God cares that you're discouraged, as this passage says, he's going to encourage you. He cares that you're tired. He says he cares that you're, you fear, that you face fear. That blows my mind. But you can take that to the bank, that God is compassionate. He's unchanging in that. That he cares about your intimate emotions, the feelings that you sense deep in your heart. He cares about it. You can know that God is Savior. He is coming to save you. And right after we fell in Genesis 3, he said he's going to save us. God is Savior. You can take it to the bank. God is healer. For ones that need healing. Do you know, and this blows my mind as well, that we are obviously, we're spiritual beings, we're physical beings. But our spiritual existence is not all that there is. It actually says in the new heaven and new earth, we're going to receive new bodies. So God actually... He, there's something in him that appreciates the physical as well, as he cares about your physical bodies. So much so that we're not just going to be these uh, floating spirits in the new heaven. He says we're going to get new bodies. He is the God that heals. God is holy. He is perfect. He is the only uh, the only entity in all of the universe that is holy, meaning he's set apart. So it makes sense that God himself would be the only one that is set apart. But you can take it to the bank. As you, as you look and discern everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on in the world, you can see that there's this grand 
chasm of separation between God and all that we see and all that we take in. God is holy. You can take it to the bank. How does this affect your daily life? Let's just think about the life of Jesus for a second. How Jesus couldn't help but see the world through this lens of hope because he so knew the unchanging character of his father, right? And Jesus came and for three years he said, I'm declaring what? I'm declaring the kingdom of heaven. So he was trying to describe to us what this kingdom of God is like, what the character of God is like. And so continually he saw situations, whether it be sickness in somebody's body, whether it be inequalities and and horrible situations, he saw them through this lens of the character of the Father. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse, verse 11, he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? He couldn't help but see it in that context. That's the way my Father is. I know him. I have a relationship with him. And this is the way he is. He's a good father that gives good gifts to those that ask him. Just in the chapter prior, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, what will, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So as you are going through the ringer, the gauntlet of life, and you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling, feeling fear, you're like, God, where are you? Step back, pause, take a deep breath, and consider the character of God in relation to your situation. Who is the Father? As Jesus said, if he dresses the lilies of the field, do you think he's going to forget about you? He cares. He sees you. He knows you. He's unchanging in character in the midst of our unpredictable lives. He is so predictable, not in his ways in which he always works, but his character is predictable. You can take it to the bank. And secondly, God wants us to see his hope for a better day through his unchanging character and his unfailing promises. God is the God of promise. He created us, he wired us in a certain way that he knew we needed hope. The day you have no purpose in living, obviously, is the day you stop living, right? On the most basic level, every human needs something to live for. And so God has always pumped our existence full of promises. He's he's such an abundant God of promise that he's always speaking a promise because he knows he's he's trying to stir something up in our hearts that would keep us going, that would keep us pursuing something of substance in this world. And so right here in these 10 verses, Isaiah 35 has 10 verses. You know how many promises are cram-packed into these 10 verses? There's 21 promises. The desert will be glad. The wasteland will rejoice. There will be abundance. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. The Lord will display his glory. He's going to strengthen those who have tired hands. He's going to encourage those who have weak knees. He's going to say, be strong and do not fear. He's coming to save you. 21 promises jam-packed into these 10 verses. He's a God of promise. And so as you're facing 
the, the situations, circumstances in your life. Yes, step back and consider the unchanging character of God, but maybe there's a promise that I'm actually confident that there's a promise that God wants to speak into your given situation that'll keep you going, that'll keep your eyes on who he is and what he wants to accomplish in your life. In this, this theme that we're going after for nine months, we're calling it Discover More. And so part of the more that we believe God has for us is this ability to see the world differently, to see above what's, what, what everyone else sees. As Christ followers, we're invited into this more, and this more is this confident hope that when the promises of God become real in our life, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19 says this, So God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. You can just say that Monday morning. When things are difficult, say, God cannot lie. He's a God of promise. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This is so good. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain to God's inner sanctuary. There's an anchor for your soul. And it's hope in these promises that God imparts upon your life. And so some of you feel beat up. You feel weary, you feel tired, you feel discouraged, and I believe God would bring you right here to Ames, Iowa, LifePoint Church, to give you a promise. To bring you, bring your, your vision back on really, on, on really what matters in the grand scheme of things. It's Jesus Christ. He'd bring you back. He loves you that much. I want to end with this story. God has a better day for us. He's going to reveal it to us through his unfailing character, or his unchanging character and his unfailing promises. Several, several years ago, I had a friend named Isaiah who God had called him to go um, and give his life on the mission field to the nation of Nicaragua. And Isaiah, through much of high school and college, had spent time going back and forth to the nation of Nicaragua, and he loved it. It just crawled into his heart, and he, he loved that country, he loved the people, and God used him in amazing ways there. He learned to speak Spanish just from reading a Spanish Bible. Like, this kid had a, just a call of God on his life. But I remember Isaiah, before he was going to go overseas to go to Nicaragua, he so desperately wanted his grandma Rose to come to know the Lord. You see, his grandma Rose was now 91 years old. And she still, to this day, did not know the Lord. And it just, it just burned Isaiah that he's going to go overseas and preach the gospel to people that are hungry and desperate, and yet his grandma very, very well could possibly pass away without knowing Christ herself. You see, Grandma Rose had, had plenty of opportunities to be around amazing Christians, she had heard the gospel plenty of times, but here she was, 91 years old, and there was this bitterness, this resentment, this anger towards the things of God in her life. Her son, who was Isaiah's dad, 
encountered the Lord in an amazing way, and he began to share Christ with his mom, Grandma Rose, to no avail. Prior to that, the home that Grandma Rose grew up in was a Christian home. Her mom encountered the Lord in tent revival meetings. To her, to her husband's disapproval, but she ended up leading all of her kids to the Lord except for Grandma Rose. Grandma Rose is the only one that did not come to know the Lord. So here Isaiah is. His grandma's 91. She's now in a nursing home. She's on dialysis. And she gets a roommate in the nursing home named Margaret. Margaret's 96. She loves Jesus. Grandma Rose, I mean, uh, Margaret, every day, she'd read the word. She'd turn on some gospel music. She'd watch TV preachers, all to the annoyance of Grandma Rose. And honestly, Margaret was in a place in her life where she was like, why am I still here? I want to go and see my Savior, right? 96 years old. Like, why am I living? Just so longing to be in Christ's presence. And then one day, it happens. Margaret passes away. And it shook Grandma Rose up in a major way because Grandma Rose saw her, now passed away in her bed. And Grandma Rose said it seemed as though Margaret was smiling. He said there, she said there was just this peace in the room that she couldn't explain. She'd never felt that peace before. So Grandma Rose called Isaiah up and said, Isaiah, I need you to come and visit me. I'm shook up. My roommate passed away. I need to talk to you. So Isaiah came quickly and he brought his sister. And they sat there and they talked with, with Grandma Rose. They ended up praying a prayer for Grandma Rose to dedicate her life to Christ that day. She committed her life to Christ and the peace of God was on her. But you know, she had the same question many of us have soon after we commit our lives to Christ. And she asked, how can I know? How can I be sure that this faith that I put in this Savior is the real deal? And Isaiah, this is just like quintessential Isaiah. He loved music and he had this, this outward zeal that was just contagious, but he just started to sing a song right there in the nursing home. The old hymn, Blessed Assurance. He said, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. And that's what Grandma Rose encountered that day, was that, uh, was that hope that only Christ can give. And I believe that hope is for you today. I really do. From my heart of hearts, it's been burning on my heart all week long, just knowing that that's what your lives need. You need hope to see above the mess. So I'm going to have Paige lead us in this song, Blessed Assurance. You can sing along, or you yourself can just pray for a moment to consider how Christ is revealing himself to you through his unchanging nature, 
or in his unfailing promises. God has something for you this morning. So go ahead, Paige. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org.